John's Gospel in chapter 12. John's Gospel in chapter 12. If you need a Bible, there's one on your table. And today we're going to complete the chapter. And we're going to cover verses 37 to the end of the chapter. Now that is very, this is a very significant uh, chapter because this ends section 1 of John's Gospel. John's Gospel is divided into three sections. Section 1 is John 1 through John 12. It covers three years of Jesus' life. It deals with his preaching and his miracles. The second chapter of John's Gospel covers one day in his life. In fact, I'd say a half a day in his life. That would be chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. Five chapters devoted to one day in Jesus' life. All takes place during the Last Supper. In fact, after he eats his last crumb of food during that Last Supper, he teaches the twelve apostles. And these five chapters are devoted to that teaching during the Last Supper. So, you want to know how long he talked after supper? Five chapters worth. And you're just getting a summary. So that's the second section. And the last section deals with his arrest, his death, and his resurrection. So there's three sections in John's Gospel. Uh, section number one, often called the Book of Signs. S-I-N-G. S-I-G-N-S, uh, because Jesus performs a lot of signs that point to him being the Messiah. So we're going to cover the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verses 37 through 50. And here's how I'm going to divide this chapter. Verses 37 through 43, we have John's evaluation of Jesus' ministry. John's evaluation of Jesus' ministry. And if you uh, look at those verses, you'll notice if you have one of those red letter Bibles, you'll notice these first verses are all in black. That's John evaluating, telling you what he thinks of Jesus' ministry. And then, verses 44 through 50, you'll notice what color are those words. They're in red. And this is Jesus' last exhortation to the people that he's preaching to before the next section begins. So, chapters 1 through 12, Jesus' public ministry, section 1 of John's Gospel. Chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, Jesus' private ministry that deals exclusively with what he's teaching the 12 apostles during the last stuff. And then finally, Jesus' arrest, death, and resurrection. So, are you with me? That's how we're going to divide everything. So, let's, let's look at this last few verses of section number one. Let's look at John's evaluation of Jesus' ministry. Look at verse 37. But although he had done many signs, meaning throughout his entire life, his entire public ministry, before them, before the people, they did not believe in him. Despite all the miracles that Jesus did, the majority of people that saw those miracles did not believe in him. Now, least the key word there in verse 37 is the word signs. Uh, signs like raising Lazarus from the dead. 
If you saw him raise Lazarus from the dead, wouldn't you believe in him? But what did they do? Remember? They wanted to kill him <laughs> instead of believing in him. So these signs are, are signs, all signs, really point to something, don't they? McDonald's, three miles ahead. <laughs> no. The sign isn't McDonald's. It points to where McDonald's is. Three miles ahead, exit 42. And these signs point to Jesus being the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And they are designed for people to believe, but in this case, the majority of people do not believe the signs. And uh, that shouldn't surprise us. And John wants us to know that's, that's to be expected because that's what was predicted in Old Testament prophecy. Look what he says in verse 38. They didn't believe in him at the end of verse 37, so that the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled. See, this is uh, what Jesus was expecting, to be rejected because the Old Testament prophecy said it, and now it's being fulfilled. And it says, uh, which he spoke. Look what Isaiah said seven centuries before Jesus came on the scene. He said, Lord, who has believed our report? And the answer is what? Not many. <laughs> See, that's a prophecy about Jesus. And look at this. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? That's the signs in God's manifestation. What's well, been revealed to a lot of people, but most of the people do not believe. So, we see that very few people believe the report. That's Jesus' message. Very few people are changed because of the signs when God's arm, His power is revealed. And uh, look what this rejection of Jesus leads to. Look at verse 39. Therefore, they what? <clears throat> Could not believe. Oh man, now we really have something very interesting. Look what it says in verse 37. It says they what? Did not believe. You see that? In verse 37 it says they did not believe. And what's the result of that? Look at verse 39. Therefore, they what? could not believe. There's a progression. If you will not believe on Jesus, that will lead to the point where you can't believe on Jesus. Now notice that that will not comes first. The cannot or the won't comes second. So it says, therefore they could not believe, verse 39. Why not? Well, that was prophesied too. Because Isaiah said, what did he say again? Look at verse 40. He said, he, that's God, has blinded their eyes. Well, when you have blind eyes, you can't see. And in this case, they couldn't understand the scripture. They couldn't see that this message was true. Look, he, God, has blinded their eyes. And he's done what? Hardened their hearts. Uh, they, he steeled them against Jesus. They, they did, were not moved emotionally to believe in Jesus, lest they should see with their eyes. So what we have here is we see that they first of all reject Jesus, they will not believe, they did not believe, and that leads to they can't believe. And uh, that's something that's very interesting. Uh, you can reject God's revelation. You can reject the truth. To the point of reaching no return, and then God just hardens your heart just like that. And that's something none of us ever wants to do. 
very dangerous to reject Christ when the message is clear and you have to say either I'm going to believe or I'm not. Well, if I believe, what's that going to cost me? Oh, I better not believe. <clears throat> or you see one of his manifestations like they did in those days, like raising Lazarus from the dead or curing the blind man and, and they know it's a power of God, but they still do not believe. So when you do that, then there's going to be some point if you do not repent, do not recant and believe on Christ, God will harden your heart. So you can't believe. See? You say won't, God says can't. So that's the progression we have here. It's very interesting when you look at it that way. Look at verse 44, 41. These things Isaiah said when he saw God's glory and spoke to him. Now, he's telling us when Isaiah said these things. When did he see it? It's a reference to Isaiah chapter 6. Many of you are familiar with this. Where chapter 6 and verse 1 says, And I saw the Lord. He was in heaven's vision. He was called up. He said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his glory filled the temple. Remember that vision that he had? And he says there were angels around his throne, cherubim and, and seraphim, and they were crying, Holy, holy, holy! And suddenly Isaiah in this vision realizes that when he hears these words, Holy, 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 he realizes how unclean he is. And he says, Lord, I'm a man of unclean lips. And he's like Peter when he says, you know, skin away from me. He realizes what a sinner he is. And God sends the angels with a hot coal and touches his lips and suddenly his iniquity is gone. And then God says, Who will go with who will go for me and preach the word? And Isaiah says, I will, Lord. And then God says, Well, okay, but when you preach the word, I want you to know something. No one's going to listen to you. <laughs> They'll just reject the word. And that's where all this comes from, right here. So, although he preached the word, Jesus preached the word, although Jesus performed miracles, the majority of people did not believe on him. Fortunately, John says, but guess what? There were some that did. Isn't that great? But it's the few. It's few in comparison with the majority. Now look what he says in verse 42. <clears throat> Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. Now notice that. You see that? There were a lot of people that believed in him, just most of them didn't. Thousands heard Jesus preached, majority rejected, but, but many believed in him, including who? Yeah, the rulers, look at that. Even the rulers believed in him. Yeah, like the Pharisees. But, now that's not a good word, is it? Many believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not, what? Confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. <clears throat> So what happens is there were people who believed in him, even among the rulers, but you know what they ended up doing? They became secret believers. They didn't confess him publicly. They said, I'm a believer. They didn't declare their faith in him immediately. Why? Because they were afraid they'd be put out of the synagogue. Remember when the man was born blind and uh, the Pharisees called him in and said, who healed you? And he said, well, I don't know the guy's name, but he healed. And they called the parents in. Remember that? And the parents said, don't ask us. You know? And the next phrase said, 
They refused to tell about Jesus because they were afraid that they would be put out of the synagogue. Same phrase right here. You know anybody else that believed in Jesus but were secret believers? There's a guy named Joseph of Arimathea. I want to show this to you. And uh, look over at chapter 19 just for a second. We're introduced to this man in chapter 19. And it sort of leads us to a real conundrum. It leads to a problem. In John chapter 19, and look down at verse 38. This is after Jesus has died. He's hanging on the cross. And John 19, 38 says this. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but what? Secretly. Look, he was a secret disciple. Secretly. Why? For what? Fear of the Jews. See, this guy fell right into that category. He asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and he took the body of Jesus. And who else? Nicodemus. He did it too, and they put the spices around Jesus' body and they buried him. Here's two secret disciples. They never confessed Jesus out loud because they were afraid that they would be ostracized and thrown out of the synagogue. Now Nicodemus was a major ruler, wasn't he? But he was still afraid to confess Christ. But eventually, guess what? They did. And that's the difference. <laughs> Jesus said, if you do not confess me before men, I won't what? Confess you before my Father in heaven. So if that continues to go on your entire life, you can't remain a secret believer your entire life. You have to come out in the open sometime. So we have Peter. <clears throat> Jesus is being arrested. Maybe girl said, aren't you one of his disciples? He said, who, me? Talk to me? No, I'm not one of his disciples. Look, refuses to confess him, though. Three times. But eventually, what does he do? Comes out and confesses it. See, so, the problem is, Jesus seems to say, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. And that's true if you continue to the end, you continue to try to be a secret believer your entire life. There's a point where you have to come out in the open. So there's the case of Joseph of Arimathea. Now, why does John include this in here? Why do you think he puts this little section in here? I think it's because uh, a similar thing is going on with the audience that he's writing to. Remember, John writes in 95 AD to a, a group of people. These events took place in 30 A.D., but John's audience is reading this when? 95 A.D. I believe these are things that are going on in their lives. There are people who are unbelievers. <clears throat> Maybe his readers are Jews, and they've got family members who are unbelievers. These people have witnessed for Christ. They've told about their miracles. They've just said, no, we will not believe in God. has now hardened their hearts, so they can't believe. And then you have others that are secret believers in Jesus, but they haven't come out and said anything lest they be kicked out of the synagogue. And so John's putting it in here and said, well, you can't remain a secret believer all your life. Sometime or other, you're going to have to come out of the closet. <laughs> you're going to have to confess Christ as your Savior and as your Messiah. So I think that's why John has put that in here, and he mentions very clearly it's the the Pharisees that they're afraid of. 
It says in verse 42, nevertheless, uh, many, because of the Pharisees, they did not confess it. Verse 42. <clears throat> now, when, when Jesus uh, is doing all these things in 30 AD, there were only about 6,000 Pharisees throughout all of Israel. They really weren't the real power brokers. The real power brokers were the Sadducees, the people who ran the temple. But in 95, John's audience, guess what's happened to the temple? It's been destroyed. Guess what's happened to the Sadducees? They're no more. They've lost all their power. The Pharisees have now risen up. And synagogues have just jumped, been built everywhere. And now the Pharisees are in charge. And he's saying, don't allow these Pharisees to intimidate you. Confess Christ no matter what the cost. So I think that's what's happened here. So that ends John's evaluation of Jesus' public ministry. You still with me? That makes sense? Okay. Now let's go to this next little passage, verses 42 through 50. And here we have Jesus' final exhortation. Jesus' final exhortation. Look what he says in verse 44. I know, by the way, did I skip 43? Yeah, well, let's add that. Why did they, uh, why did they not confess Jesus? Because they loved what? Praise. Yeah, the praise of men rather than the praise of God. So they would rather have... Somebody in the synagogue say, Yay, yeah, we're glad you've rejected Christ. And uh, rather than having God praise them for confessing Christ. So that's that whole secret thing. Okay, now, verse 44. Jesus' exhortation. Then Jesus cried out. <clears throat> Notice he cried out. This means it's a public proclamation. Jesus cried out and he said, And now you have the red letters in red. He who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And who sent Jesus? God the Father. If you believe in Jesus, you're really believing in God the Father. He says, if you believe in me, you haven't believed in me, but you believed in the guy who sent me. I am his ambassador. Jesus is an ambassador on behalf of God. He's God's spokesman. He, he's God's, he represents God. He says what God wants him to say. He reveals God, you see. Look at verse 45. And he who sees me, look, sees him who sent me. See, he not only represents God, he's not only his ambassador, but he reveals God. If you want to know what God's like, all you have to do is look at Jesus. And you'll know what God's like. If your image of God does not match Jesus, in the scripture, you've got a wrong concept of God. A lot of people have God as angry God. Is that what you see, Jesus? Is he like that? What kind of person is Jesus? For God, so what? That's what Jesus does. What Jesus says is the number one commandment. Love. See, so if you see Jesus, you've seen the Father. Our image of God must match the Jesus of the Bible. It's very important. He who sees me sees God. And that means if you examine me and you scrutinize me, then you'll know what God's like. Not just glancing at Jesus. It means after you scrutinize Jesus, you have an open mind. You don't come and look at Jesus through preconceived, with preconceived ideas or with prejudice in your mind. A lot of people have, have their mind made up about Jesus, don't they? They really don't look at Jesus of the Bible. They look at Jesus that they want to look at. Okay. So, 
You have to look at Jesus, scrutinize him, and if you do that with an open mind, you'll know exactly what God is like. So he is the revelation of God. And then look at verse 46. He says, I've come as a light into the world. Well, there's that theme of light again, which went all the way back to the first chapter. It's been repeated over and over and over again in John's Gospel. He said, I am the light of the world. I'm a light that's come into the world. And what does a light do? A light expels darkness. A light exposes the dirt in the corners of your house. And it exposes the sin in the corners of your heart. Jesus is a light. He throws light on things. See? Uh, dark places are not good places. Even in our society. Go into the average bar room and guess what it is. It's dark. Most crimes, violent crimes are usually done in dark. After the sun goes down. They don't want the light to shine on their face. They want to they, they'll put a mask on. Why do they put a mask on? So darkens their image. When people do bad things, like we've had presidents that have done bad things and have been, court, uh, have been put out of office because they tried to cover up. When you cover something up, what are you trying to do? Hide it. See, they want to live under the guise of darkness, not light. Jesus says he's a light that comes into the world. And we also know from the other chapters that light equals life. John 1 says, this is the light that's come into the world, and the light is the life of men. Light equals life. Darkness equals what? Death. <clears throat> so, Jesus comes as a light. Now look at the purpose there in verse 46. I've come as a light into the world. Look at this. That this is the purpose statement. Here's why he's come as a light. That, so that, in order that, whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And that's what some of these people were doing. They were secret believers, weren't they? <laughs> and he doesn't want us to abide in darkness or abide in death. He wants us to abide in the light and abide in life. Now what about those who reject Christ? Look what Jesus says. Look at verse 47. If anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him. Do you see that? <clears throat> if you have an idea of Jesus as a mean judge, then guess what your picture of God is? A mean God? But look what Jesus says. I have come as a light that whoever hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world. You see that? So if I said, why didn't Jesus come? You'd say, he didn't come to do what? Judge the world. But what did he come to do? To save the world. Do you see that? He came to save the world. He came to deliver us. Not condemn us. Very interesting, isn't it? Look at verse 48. He who rejects me... And does not receive my words. Has one that judges him. What is it? The word that I have spoken. Will judge him. In the last day. Notice that. What judges a person who rejects Christ and his word? It's the word itself that judges you. See? 
Not Jesus, but his words. Why does Jesus' words judge you? Because they are God's words. And you've rejected those words. These are words that are meant to deliver you, and you've rejected those words. So God sent Jesus into the world to deliver us, to forgive us, to offer us eternal life. Isn't that what Jesus came for? To offer us eternal life? So therefore, if you reject those words of life, then guess what you have? Judgment. And it's those words that judge you. That's the consequence. Notice when this judgment takes place in verse 48. What does it say? In the last day. <clears throat> See, if you reject Christ now, you say, I will not believe, I will not believe, I will not believe, I will not believe. And then God says, okay, now I'm going to harden your heart. Now you won't believe. You've reached the point of no return. Your fate is sealed. But you won't hear the sentence of judgment until the last day when you stand before God. And it won't be God condemning you. It'll be those words. You know what you'll hear? For God so loved the world. This is how you're going to stand when you stand before the God of the universe on the last day. For God so loved the world. Was that you, Alan Street? That whosoever believes in him should not, what? But have everlasting life. And I reject that. Then guess what judges me? The word judges. Very uh, interesting concept there, isn't it? How he, Jesus lays all this out. The reason, look at the reason. Verse 49, for, because, I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command that I should say what I should say and what I should speak. Jesus was a man under orders. He had a command from God. A command to do what? What he should say and how he should say it. And guess what he did? He was very obedient. He came and he preached the gospel of the kingdom. He preached life and he was obedient to that. You see? Look at verse 50. And I know that his command is what? Look at verse 50. I know his command is eternal or everlasting life. Jesus had a command from the Father. And what's the command? Verse 50. Everlasting life. Is that what Jesus came to preach? Is that what Jesus offered? <laughs> he offered everlasting life. So God gave Jesus' command to preach the words of life, and guess what? He was obedient. He preached the good news. And now he gives us a command to heed the words of life. <laughs> and if we heed the words of life, we have eternal life. And if we don't, those words judge us. Very interesting how this whole section ends, isn't it? Very interesting. So this ends this, this section, section one of the Gospel of John, which is called the Book of Signs. The signs point to Jesus as the Lamb of God. Most people didn't believe. Many believed, but were secret believers, like Joseph of Arimathea. And there were others that came right on out and confessed him as Lord from the start. So this ends section one. <clears throat> now, chapter 13 through 17 begins section 2. Okay? And that's what we're going to pick up next week. That deals with Jesus' exclusive ministry to his disciples. He's only going to be teaching 11 people at this point. It takes place after the Lord's Supper, or after the Last Supper. <coughs> Judas has already departed. There's 11 apostles left. And now he spends 
the rest of that evening after supper, teaching them. <clears throat> Chapter 13, he washes their feet. How long would it take to wash someone's foot? What one person, let's say he, he had a little tub and he and he washed their feet, maybe a minute, two minutes, I don't know how long it takes to dry the feet. And he did that for eleven of them. There's a minute apiece, that's eleven minutes. I'm sure he's teaching while he's doing that as well. So maybe maybe twenty minutes is washing their feet. Uh, he says that guy Judas, he's he's gonna betray me. That's what he's gonna do. And he talks about how he's leaving. His departure, that's chapter 13. Chapter 14, that's where we hear Jesus say, I'm going to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I'll receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. That's chapter 14. He talks about the Holy Spirit. Chapter 15, that great chapter, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me, which means continually uh, connected to me, uh, has life. And then he talks about, but watch out, there's going to be a lot of persecution. He's preparing them for when he leaves. That's chapter 15. Chapter 16, he talks about the giving of the Holy Spirit, a whole chapter on the Holy Spirit. They need to know that one day when he leaves, the Holy Spirit's going to come in great power. And everything that he taught them that they didn't understand when they were with him on earth will suddenly crystallize and all start making And then chapter 17, the great chapter on unity. I pray that you'll be one. You'll be in unity as I and my Father are one. And he gives them those great instructions about how we're to love one another. And he asks God to keep us. That's chapter 17. All that takes place during the Last Supper. And that's section 2 of John's Gospel. And that's where we'll pick up next week. Lord, we thank you for this entire section of John's Gospel and this fitting conclusion. <clears throat> Help each one of us to take to heart what we've heard in the sermon this morning and what we hear today in this classroom. That if we will not believe, we can reach a point where we won't believe. Lord, may that not happen to any of us. And if we're secret believers, we need to come out and say that we're believers and confess Christ openly. Help us realize, Lord, that Jesus loves us. He came to preach the words of life. He didn't come to condemn us, but that we might have life and have it more abundantly. Oh, Lord, may we heed these words and not be those who will be judged by these words in the last day. Thank you, Lord, that this gospel has been a living testimony to your goodness and your love toward us. Now, Lord, help us to be positive disciples of Jesus Christ as we go out from this classroom. In his name we pray. Amen.